leading us in prayer. We are studying Paul's uh, second letter uh, to his colleague Timothy. This is the last uh, letter that uh, Paul wrote. He's uh, uh, close to the time uh, in which he will be executed uh, by the Roman government. So if you would, would you stand in recognition that these, uh, though the words of a man, are also the words of God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, only by your Spirit's enablement can we understand these words and see their significance for our lives. Please grant that, that you might be glorified and that we might experience and live into all the goodness you intend for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me, Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. You may be seated. In an article written in Psychology Today, Uh, Morano writes about the constant pressure that girls and young women face about their image. Girls compete to be the most attractive, turning high schools and colleges into incubators for eating disorders, numerous unrealistic imposed expectations. But why? Well, in the course of his article, he cites uh, three uh, people who... uh, deal extensively in this area. Uh, Courtney Martin, in his book, A Perfect Girl, Starving Daughters, says the chief problem is that young women believe they have to have everything. They have to be overachievers in academics, successful in their chosen career, and the life of the party. And adding to this mounting pressure, they are told, girls are told, that they can look any way that they want. And over time, they seek to compose themselves as perfect, with the perfect resume and a perfect body. New York psychotherapist Stephen uh, Levenkron, who has uh, been treating women with dis-eating orders for three decades, contends that peer pressure by far and away is the single greatest uh, contributing factor. And he says those parents... Uh, who uh, don't mentor uh, their uh, children against peer pressure, well, their children end up turning to their peers, to media and outside society on guidance as to how to be attractive. 
and Hollywood in turn imposes on them unrealistic messages about what it means to be a woman. Uh, Richard Hirsch, who is the uh, former director of the Harvard Center for Moral Education, uh, blames a girl's image obsession with a culture of neglect. Uh, kids raising kids, parents and teachers have allowed children to be nurtured by television, the internet, and their peers. And they've, in abdicating uh, their role as mentors, and also at the same time curiously sheltering uh, their children so that they don't experience uh, pain and failure, they end up entering college as socially and emotionally fragile people. And the results all too often are bulimia, depression, drinking, uh, drug use, and attempts at suicide. Forty percent of uh, young women in college experience eating disorders. In the article, he, he concludes by sharing the testimony of one 17-year-old uh, uh, girl named Chloe. Uh, dieting made me feel as if I was in control of something. It was the one thing I could change on my own. I would diet and get positive feedback and feel really good, and so I wouldn't eat for a few days at a time. You compare yourself to other people. Each of my friends was vying to be better than the other. I was in a restaurant and my, uh, with my boyfriend, and a girl walked in who was really pretty, and she was much thinner than me. And I saw him glance at her, and I went into the bathroom and cried. Boys are constantly comparing women to each other. That girl is really hot. She's so much hotter than her friends. So we compete to be the hotter friend. Some days it makes you feel fat. On particularly bad days, I can look at children and think that when I'm older, that little three-year-old girl is going to steal my husband. Now something's missing. It's missing in the lives of young uh, women, uh, leaving them open to unrealistic expectations, unable to push back against the pressure. And I could have easily uh, spoken about young men who themselves have other distorting uh, pressures in their lives. And these pressures don't start in high school today. They're present in middle school. They're powerfully present in middle school. In our text, Paul commands Timothy to continue in what he has uh, learned and firmly uh, believed, knowing from whom he has learned it. And last week, we saw that everyone has some standard uh, by which they uh, direct their lives, by which they make life decisions. In traditional societies, it was, well, something external to you. It was uh, your parents, your extended family, your tribe, or perhaps your uh, religion. In the modern uh, West, um, everyone is told to create their own standards. They must uh, decide for themselves what's right and wrong, what's uh, true and false, uh, what's good and evil. And this makes each person, each person has the weight of uh, having to do this uh, for themselves. And perhaps one value more than all the others uh, shapes uh, this quest to find a standard. And it's the value of being absolutely free. Because we have uh, come to believe in many, many uh, stories and films and, and narratives in our society tell us 
that it's only when we're completely free uh, that we can truly be ourselves. And so we can't have any constraints uh, on, our, on our freedom of choice. And last week we considered some of the difficulties uh, with this and uh, why it's problematic for attaining many of the greatest pleasures in life. And this includes having uh, deep uh, relationships or living in a society where everyone uh, has the opportunity to flourish. And with this uh, in mind, then we looked at uh, the guidance Timothy had received from Paul and in uh, his home growing up that was rooted in the scriptures and the life-changing truth of the word of God. Now, I can't... uh, continue to summarize the sermon last week. If you missed it, I would strongly urge you uh, to, to get it and, and to consider what's said there. This morning, I want to focus on the other source of direction in his life, the living examples of his mother, his grandmother, as well as Paul. Life and the word of truth were intertwined. There was both scripture and there were life examples. And there where Timothy learned what it meant to please God, to live out the gospel. So there's a third element it's easy to miss. Now, I mentioned it just now, but it's really easy to miss. There is truth and there is life and there is a learning uh, process. There is the Bible. Uh, There are people uh, who incarnate its teaching, and there is a transformational learning process taking place. Well, just what is it that makes learning transformational? Well, I've thought about this uh, a lot. And as I think about uh, what the New Testament uh, teaches, uh, what it says to us, there are three roles uh, that take place interpersonally for transformational learning to happen. There are mentors, people who show you how to do something. They say, follow me, do it this way. There are coaches who support you as you learn. They encourage, they answer questions, they help you overcome obstacles, they keep you motivated when you want to quit. And then there are drill sergeants who provide accountability. Um, who push and they pull and they don't let you get away uh, with excuses. Um, uh, Sometimes uh, they're very direct and they tell you the truth, even if it's truth you don't want to hear. And these roles in the New Testament are always shaped by love. There are no other motives involved in these, but the desire for God's very best for someone Now, Jesus uh, does all of these things in the Gospels, and the New Testament letters uh, attest that the other uh, apostles, Jesus' first disciples, disciples, just a word, means learners, his very first uh, learners, they themselves did this with other people. And in fact, every one of these things is present in this letter uh, to Timothy. Paul refers to some of them directly here, and the whole letter uh, is, uh, is Paul coaching Uh, Timothy and challenging him. So these three roles, mentoring, coaching, and having a drill sergeant, uh, that's what's missing in the lives of so many young women and men uh, today. Uh, It's 
allowed uh, things that were unthinkable, these narratives that exist in our culture, uh, to so uh, capture the hearts and minds of uh, even children at this point that they, they're utterly confused about life and who they are. Uh, they don't understand these, uh, these narratives are not rooted in the biblical truth that God has made every uh, person unique and he's made them the way he intends. They've left young uh, men adrift without purpose and, and uh, they, many, many young men today uh, are stuck in adolescence well into approaching their 30th birthday. Um, and they live a life of, uh, with a denial of personal responsibility. And unfortunately, this is missing in the lives of many Christians. It is misguided. It's a profound mistake, in my, my view, to think that the sermon can do all the heavy lifting that's necessary to bring about this dynamic, this transformational uh, work. And many churches, really, who hold this idea, what they really have is they have a view of how people learn and of people themselves that's really not uh, biblical. It's really not orthodox. You see, discipleship is more than transferring information. It's more than someone dispensing information uh, to you because, you see, at the root of this model is that you are really just, uh, well, you're a brain on a stick. <laughs> you don't really desire to play no role in what you uh, do. And it asserts, if you know the right thing to do, you'll do it. If you know the right thing to do, you'll do it. Now, it doesn't take a lot of reflection to realize that, well, we all know some things we should do that we don't do. In fact, most people's track record at the beginning of a new year when they make a resolution is that it has failed by March. This time, just think now, maybe some of you did that. Um, how many of you are still doing those things you resolve to do differently uh, now that it's March the 19th? Well, many people are not, about 70% of people. Uh, who, and they may not all be honest, maybe higher than that, have not. You see, in Timothy's life, there are these three people whom, who are mentioned. Uh, his mother and his grandmother, uh, which are mentioned in the phrase, from your childhood, and Paul. And this is God's plan. This is God's plan for transformational learning to shape our lives so that they flourish. And um, the question, though, I want to explore with you is how do we do this? Well, parents are to be incarnational models of gospel living. The truth of the gospel is to be made concrete and fleshed out in their lives. The teaching of scripture is to be visible in their living. Now, if you're here and you're not a parent or a grandparent, please don't tune in. I'll speak to you in a little bit. But if, if you just think, wow, this has nothing to do with me, then would you please pray for the others who are parents and grandparents here in the room? See, if we put together all the statements in this letter about Timothy's childhood, what becomes clear is that his Jewish grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice taught Timothy the scriptures, that is the Old Testament. 
Now, it is very unlikely that they owned a copy of the Old Testament or any book from the Old Testament. Books were very expensive, and the process of copying the Old Testament was very carefully regulated, kind of the way the um, Treasury uh, rel uh, regulates the printing of money. And it wasn't anybody could do this um, and go home and make, make the money you need. You can go home and copy the Old Testament. However, they heard it. They heard it read, explained in the synagogue. They undoubtedly memorized significant portions of it, and they repeated it to Timothy. For example, they told him the stories of Abraham, uh, how it is that he trusted God. He left his uh, home to a place he'd never been, the promises that God had made uh, to him, as well as those times that he failed to believe those promises. And Timothy was taught that they too were a part of this larger story of which Abraham was a part, and that he should uh, find himself in uh, this story. And they lived this story out in front of him. And then one day Paul came to Lystra, and uh, he uh, preached the gospel. And because of their exposure to the scripture, it was easy for them to see how it was that Jesus was the fulfillment of all these things. Well, this plan of learning at home was centuries old by Timothy's time. It was commanded by God through Moses, and the New Testament commands this same pattern to continue. And if you're a parent, God wants you to be your children's primary spiritual teacher. And it's a great privilege, as well as responsibility. You boys and girls... You young men and women, you should seek to learn all that you can from your parents. All that you can, especially about living out the gospel. Now, dear parents, you can include uh, others, but you can't delegate all your responsibility away. No matter who uh, and how you educate your children, you aren't off the hook uh, for uh, doing this. Uh, my own children uh, had other uh, Christian adults who were very influential in their lives, and we're so thankful for uh, that because they saw in other people that Christianity wasn't just something mom and dad uh, did. And uh, this is one reason why it's so important to develop relationships with other Christians outside of your family uh, circle, and especially those you worship with who you see uh, regularly. Grandparents can have a very significant impact on their grandchildren. Nancy's father had an enormous impact on our two oldest uh, children who knew him well. But other older adults also uh, uh, can have a great impact on children. Of course, they need to be invited in to do that uh, by, by a, a family, by the parents of the child, but it can be a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing in the lives of other uh, families when older adults, even single adults, uh, get involved uh, with your children. But, but how do you do this? So this is the plan. It needs to happen in the context of the family, if you're a single parent, as a single parent. Well, you need to be intentional. And that means you need to have a clear idea of how to do this. And this begins with having a clear goal. So my goal as a parent 
was to see my children become mature, independent of me, not dependent upon me, and responsible followers of Christ. Mature, independent, responsible followers of Christ. It wasn't my primary goal uh, to ensure that they had a resume that would open all the doors of life uh, for them, to get them into a a college. it wasn't to ensure that they could have a standard of living better than my own. Um, we, of course, did what we could to prepare them for life in, in every area, <clears throat> but it was always secondary to following uh, Christ. So we didn't let activities keep them from consistent Sunday participation in worship. And we insisted, even uh, when, well, they didn't want to be at church, that they come and be present. As long as they lived under our roof, that was our expectation uh, for them. The goal of their becoming mature followers of Christ had to be broken down to all sorts of smaller uh, steps. So uh, many, many steps, just small goals, truths that needed to be taught, skills mastered, attitudes and values nurtured from reading and discussing uh, the Bible around the kitchen uh, table, uh, memorizing the name and orders of the books of the Bible, praying together and with them and encouraging them to pray, memorizing scripture, teaching them to ask what pleases God, uh, to come to Jesus uh, when they sin, to ask for forgiveness, uh, to live out the commitments that arise out of grace, to embrace trials, to be willing to identify uh, with Christ, uh, to his church, and to serve others. And to think critically about the ideas that we knew they would be exposed to, and in fact were being exposed to, even as they lived under our roof. The ideas and values that have been shaped uh, by thought that's ultimately hostile uh, to God and doesn't rest on the truths revealed in scripture. And these ideas, we didn't contend with this the way you do now, but those of you who are parents, social media has enormous, enormous influence. And even if you don't let your children engage with it, I can assure you that they are relating to people who are. And it has enormous influence. If you're going uh, to teach a toddler how to pick up toys, saying, go clean up your room, uh, will not be enough. You have to join them on the floor. Uh, You have to show them how to pick something up and where it wants to go. And you uh, praise them uh, for each uh, little thing that they uh, do. And eventually, you do less and less. And they do more and more. And eventually, of course, they become independent to prepare them to wash their own uh, clothes when they go off to college. You don't just hand them a written sheet of instructions or a YouTube uh, link today. Um, No, Nancy took them to the laundry room, uh, walk them through step by step. You sort the clothes, you measure the detergent. Here's how you set uh, the water temperature. Now you do it, she said. And she would stand there and they might ask, is this a light or a dark? Uh, which pile does it go into? Another a day, she would just watch them, and gradually they would become completely independent. So as your children grow, you need 
to impart values. You need to have conversations uh, with them about values. Some of them are formal and some of them just happens spontaneously to challenge these cultural narratives that deeply influence them. And if we're honest, they influence us too. They're at work in our hearts and minds. They shape how we live. So what's missing? Well, what's missing in the lives of many children, leaving so many girls vulnerable to eating disorders, depression, bad relationships, gender confusion, leaving them at the mercy of the contagions that move through their peer networks, what's missing uh, in the lives of uh, many young men is that they don't have their parents being mentors and coaches and drill sergeants who've incarnated what it means to follow uh, Christ. And this process does not end in childhood. It needs to be lifelong. This morning as we were praying, one of the elders prayed that we would not get spiritually plateaued. So many Christians, as the years go on, just plateau. They stop growing, they stop developing, they stop recognizing that anything needs to change, they just settle. This process doesn't end in childhood. It doesn't end when you graduate uh, from college. It's lifelong. And so Paul speaks to Timothy. He's speaking to a grown man. And uh, he who has been a model for Timothy of what it looks like to follow Christ. And he writes, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. See, Timothy's been following Paul's life example. He's followed him around uh, the Roman Empire. And when Paul speaks about his life example, he's not being egotistical. He's simply being very practical. Timothy needs all of these things uh, to live well and to carry out his responsibilities. Conduct captures Paul's life habits his pattern of public and private worship, his intentional approach that he took to how he lived out his life. His aim is his life purpose. It's his direction and priorities that shaped how he used his time, talent, and treasures. Faith, patience, love, steadfastness, hardly need comment, and I won't. And his persecutions and sufferings. And if you know the story of the book of Acts, it's in Lystra that Paul is left for dead after being stoned. And he gave Timothy not only an example of what it means to endure suffering, especially suffering for the sake of identifying with uh, Christ, but he also equipped him with a theology of suffering that would sustain him. Paul's character and life example validated the teaching of Scripture of where to find life all of which can be found only in Christ. Now, some of you, if you if this was a conversation, at least one of you would ask this question. Well, I get it. Pastor Rick, every Christian needs a Paul in their lives the way Timothy did. Where can I possibly uh, find a Paul? I don't have Paul, you know. Peter, James, and John had uh, Jesus. I don't have him either. 
Well, the heirs of apostolic ministry are the elders in the life of the church, the ruling and teaching elders. If they are qualified for that role, then they are maturing Christians. All the qualifications uh, for their roles, all of them are just the marks of what it looks like to be grown up spiritually in relationship with Christ. Now, I need to be really clear here. None of us, Cliff, Tom, Mark, or me, would claim that we are flawless, uh, that we're without deficiencies, or that we've arrived. We are still maturing. And they really are the first place you can go to get this help as an adult. Now, there are many godly women in the church. Uh, on average, in my experience, there are actually more godly women than, than men. It shouldn't be that way, but, but it is. And from them, you can learn how to please Christ in all the practical arenas of life how to trust God when life gets hard, uh, what it means and how it is that you can enjoy a rich communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, how to be the best possible uh, spouse and parent uh, if uh, you're married and have children, how to determine your priorities, uh, how uh, as you, uh, to discern what life work you should do, how to engage in that so that your career doesn't impoverish all the other important relationships you have in life, um, uh, how the gospel informs how you should engage with others in relationship. And let me say as an aside, <clears throat> you will elect new officers, at least I'm pretty sure you will in May and you are going to call a new pastor. And the qualities that Paul's mentioned here, these are all essential. No one should be entrusted with an office in the life of a church who is lacking in one or more of these. That doesn't mean that every quality is equally and robustly present in their lives, but there should be no glaring character defect. Character defects should not be glossed over because of the perceived value or their stature someone uh, may have or how well liked they are. Those character qualities are essential uh, for the health of the church. So what's missing? Well, it's that many people who attend church, who are faithfully involved in it, have never been mentored or coached in Christian living. Uh, uh, they've had a cafeteria approach to the Christian life. I want some of this, but I'll pass on that. That doesn't look very appealing uh, to me. Um, and if we're to be a church uh, that is maturing people in gospel living, and this is what Jesus expects of us, what the scriptures teach we should do, it's what the Westminster Confession of Faith summons us to do, and the Book of Church Order repeatedly says it's part of our mission, it's our part of why we exist as a church, then we have to have a plan for transformational discipleship. We must not adopt magical thinking that somehow it's going to take place. 
There's just no room for that. And that evidence of the failure of magical thinking or that just information will do that is seen in the state of the church in America. There must be strong, clear, and robust teaching on grace, on the cross, which develops all the practical implications of that. You see, the gospel produces obedience. Paul puts it this way in the letter to the Romans. He says, through Christ, whom we have grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. See, the obedience of faith. Now, faith produces an obedient life, and there are two opposite and equally damaging ways that the gospel's call to obedience tends to be processed by people. And it gets distorted these ways. One is a perfectionistic, performance-based Christianity. And this tends to produce proud and fragile Christians. Proud if they believe they're actually doing everything that's commanded of them, and fragile if they know they're not, or if they come to see in some uh, serious, significant failure that they are not, because they wonder if they'll just be cast off. They do not measure up. And, and so often this legalistic, perfectionistic tendency results in an unhealthy kind of introspection, a kind of a navel-gazing where people are constantly looking at themselves and not at Christ. They're constantly dwelling on how they uh, don't measure up uh, their uh, failures. Um, and uh, they have really kind of a worm theology in the end. They just simply don't understand the glorious truths of justification and adoption or sanctification. Really, they've lost sight of how slow this progressive process is. But the other uh, equal and terrible distortion is, well, it's the gospel cowboy. These are people who sling the gospel around, glorying in forgiveness, uh, and it signals that, well, obedience really isn't all that important. After all, we are forgiven all our past, present, and future sins, and that's true, but the gospel is not permission to be vague or lax about obedience. Grace, if it's really grace, produces such gratitude in the life of those who've received it that they want to offer their lives as living sacrifices. And so there's this constant desire within to strive uh, to be more faithful uh, to Christ, even though the goal of complete faithfulness is beyond our reach. Beyond a robust gospel, another factor that's necessary is to empower others to be drill sergeants. Too often, we do not ask other Christians, or neither those that we worship with or the friends we have or the elders, to love us enough to expect obedience and to challenge us in concrete ways about our lives. We are very good, and small groups are, can often do this. We can communicate love and sympathy and grace to failure. And that's good, and we should, because we all, we all fail. But we never get around to a plan for change. We just give each other permission, in other words, uh, to fail. We don't ask 
for other people to check up on us and, and to give us a prod. And uh, when we lived in Atlanta, the newspaper uh, regularly carried a column every week about people who wanted to get into shape, uh, to lose weight or to get fit. And losing weight, uh, you probably all know this, is about 30% exercise and about 70% what you eat. You cannot exercise yourself to a healthy weight. It's just not possible uh, without changing how you eat. And the article would almost always be, you know, about someone who had achieved something. You know, there would be the before and after picture, the before and after uh, weight, and so on. And about three-quarters of the people who lost weight and kept it off for any period of time did so with a program like Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or, well, today there's, there's Noom, where there's a plan, a way to carefully monitor all those small decisions that happen when we eat, and there's some kind of coach, some kind of accountability built in. And if we're going to go on to maturity in Christ, we also need a plan. We need mentors and coaches and drill sergeants uh, who incarnate the truth of Scripture and who model gospel living. Uh, this uh, last week, I had a friend who reached out to me and said he was struggling uh, with something I suspect that he was struggling uh, with, and uh, he bared his heart, and, and, uh, and, he, and he asked me to become involved uh, with this. Uh, he's just in a bad place, and he admitted that, that that's where he uh, was. We've got to have those kinds of admissions if we're going to make progress. And further, you should ask, you should insist that your next pastor work with your elders to develop a plan for this church, a discipleship plan, a plan for transformational uh, learning. Such a plan will be clear about what the goal of uh, this would be. In other words, would make clear what it looks like to actually be a mature, uh, well-equipped follower of Christ. Sermons and classes where pure doctrine is taught and clear applications are made is not enough. It's truth, learning, and a, excuse me, truth, life, and a learning process. That's what equals a mature Christian. Paul writes, I urge you then, be imitators of me. He writes, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. In another letter, he writes, we gave you in ourselves an example uh, to imitate he writes to the Ephesians, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is calling you to follow him. He's given people to you who can show you more of what that uh, means. Why should you do this? Well, because he gave himself as a sacrifice for your sins. He gave himself so that you could be free, 
so that you could become the person that God intends you to be, to free us from the empty pattern of life in this world and to restore to us what it means to be truly human as we who are made in the image of God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, be pleased to make what has been opened here clear. Help us to be people of courage to take the next step. And be pleased, Father, long after I'm gone, to have made this church a place where the gospel's robustly taught, where it's not distorted, where uh, faithful obedience to Christ is the result, where there's a strong, clear, and embraced plan, where everyone participates in growing into Christ-likeness. It's in his name we pray. Amen.